Matthew 6, verses 1 to 21. I believe it's Doug who will be preaching on the Lord's Prayer next week, um, which is kind of stuck right in the middle of this passage. Ann and I once lived in an apartment, and the living arrangement was such that we had an inside view to the life of another family who attended our church at the time. They kind of lived really close to us. And what we came to realize was that at church, one of the adults in this family was passionate and committed to God, or so it seemed. They led an outreach ministry. They prayed fervently. They worshiped passionately. They knew their Bible. When it was time to elect elders for the church, they regularly got a handful of votes. Yet, who they were at home, we came to realize, was a different story. They had a violent temper. They were controlling and manipulative. They verbally and sometimes physically abused their spouse and children. The police had visited their house more than once. Most people at church had no idea who they really were. You see, their religion was one thing, but their character was another. And unfortunately, while this is somewhat of an extreme example, it's not an uncommon one. In fact, churches tend to breed this sort of thing. Because churches value high moral standards. And we tend to consciously or unconsciously evaluate people based on those standards. And so it's very common for people to walk into church and put their best foot forward. And to hide parts of themselves which they don't feel would measure up to what people at church expect. In other words, if we're not careful, churches can easily become places where people fake it. Where people fake it. And when churches become these sorts of environments, environments which focus on external religion more than on real character, guess what? Jesus is passionately against such environments. He spells this out clearly in in the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon that we're working our way through. Back in December, we finished up the first section of the sermon, which was all about our character, how we deal with anger and conflict in our relationships, how we deal with the lust we may feel toward those we find ourselves attracted to, our marriage struggles whether we're truthful and honest in the words we say and the promises we make, how we react when bad people take advantage of us or try to victimize us, and how we treat and relate to our enemies. The the vision that Jesus sketched for us here for, for the sort of community, the sort of people we're supposed to be, I think we felt as we looked at that together, it's hard to live up to, right? <laughs> When relationships are difficult, when we're tempted and we're squeezed, what honestly comes out of us? Well, what comes out is our character, who we really are. And so Jesus challenged us to change and to grow and to let God transform our hearts so that our hearts are are more loving and more like God's own heart, so that we become more like the kind of people described in the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, meek, merciful, peacemakers. 
And as we become these kind of people, people of character, Jesus encouraged us to shine, to let our good deeds be seen so that people may see them and praise God. But now in chapter 6, Jesus turns, he tacks hard to address a temptation he knows we'll face. And that is to substitute religion for the character he just talked to us about. To bypass character because it's hard and slow and to be satisfied with religion instead, which we can usually hold together for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. To fake it by, by, by showing off in the way we go about our religion. And Jesus picks out here three common religious actions. He calls them acts of righteousness, which we might be tempted to substitute for genuine character. None of these religious actions Jesus lists are bad in themselves. In fact, they're all good. And Jesus actually assumes that we'll faithfully carry them out. But as we'll see, they are no substitute for genuine character. Here are the three. There's others, but these are the three Jesus mentions. First is giving to the poor, helping those in need. Second is prayer, praying to God. Third is fasting, going without food for a time. So let's look at each of these three and and then talk about the temptation that they pose us with for us to substitute them as religious acts in place of real character. First is giving to the poor. Notice Jesus assumes we'll do it. He tells his disciples repeatedly other places that, that we should care for the poor. We already saw this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had told us, give to the one who asks of you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. To quote just one other instance, in Luke twelve thirty three, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Of course, what Jesus taught us about giving to the poor was nothing new to God's people. The Old Testament is full of admonitions to care for the needy around us. And Jesus assumes we will. But in today's passage, he adds, when you do it, don't do it for show. Don't let others know you're doing it. Just do it quietly. Then second, Jesus mentions prayer. It's a no-brainer that we'll pray. But it's helpful to realize that at the time of Jesus, hardly anyone prayed silently in their heads or hearts people almost always prayed out loud that was just the the practice at the time even if they they were alone they prayed out loud but also if they were in public whether in worship at the synagogue or in the streets or the markets jews commonly paused three times a day to pray after all as in muslim cultures today they were a religious people they were in a religious culture and so Pausing to pray out loud was just part of their daily public life. Third, Jesus mentions fasting. Again, Jesus assumes we'll do it. The Pharisees in Jesus' time, in fact, fasted twice every week. Some very religious people at the time also were known for fasting during dry seasons, during times of drought. Praying and fasting earnestly for God to send rain for his people to starve off serious hardship and famine. And and so in a way, these fasters 
were, were heroes of the people, interceding to God on everyone's behalf for the sake of the economy, for the sake of the survival of the people. Well, not everyone fasted that seriously or that often, but almost everyone fasted. Again, it was an assumed and an expected part of the culture, much like giving up something for Lent or eating fish on Fridays is in a strongly Catholic culture. Just something that everyone did. And Jesus likewise assumes his followers will from time to time fast. So three religious acts, giving to the poor and needy, praying, fasting. But notice that each one can be done without character, and in particular, without love. You can give to the poor and have no real character. I, for instance, was raised in a home where it was just assumed that 10% of any money I got belonged to God. This is as long as I can remember since I was a small child. If I earned some money, if I was given a gift of some cash, 10% went in the God jar. It was just assumed. It took no special character. It involved no generosity or no sense of sacrifice. It's just what I was raised to do, like paying paying your taxes. Now, I realize if you weren't raised that way, it might be a big step in your character growth to trust God enough and to put to death your greed enough to give God 10%. And it might require changing your budget. It might require sacrificing your lifestyle. And if that's the case, you definitely need to do that. But, but for me, it was just a religious habit that had been parented into me. And, and since the Jewish culture Jesus is addressing was deeply influenced by the Bible in the Old Testament, it was normal for them, too, to give 10% to God. And much of that went to caring for the poor. Again, doing it didn't require love. What does Jesus say in 1 Corinthians 13, or Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13 in his grace discourse on love? He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul assumes we can can give without love. We can give without character. Likewise, we can pray and have no character. Some people are gifted with flowery words. They, They have a mind for abstract thoughts like thoughts about God and theology. Maybe they were raised this way. Maybe they they grew up hearing people pray this way and they learned to imitate it. They can pray moving, thoughtful, even profound prayers. But it doesn't mean they know God. And it certainly doesn't mean they have character. Don't ever judge a person's spirituality by the way they pray unless you have corroborating evidence from the way they treat people and live their lives. I think I've told you this before. When I worked at a Bible school a number of years ago in in Budapest, several of the the male students shared an apartment together. And one of the men was in that group was super spiritual, always talking about God, always fervent in prayer. He'd spend hours with God, seeking God's face and sharing deep things he'd learned about God. But guess what? He'd He never helped the other fellow students clean up around their apartment. And he'd never take his turn washing the dishes. He just wouldn't do it. And so the other students got the distinct impression that he thought he was better than them. Religion does not equal character. And third, likewise, 
Jesus says you can fast and have no love, no humility, no character. Fasting can just be a thing you do. Some people are particularly self-disciplined. In fact, they almost need some hard thing to do so that they can feel in control. So some take up exercise, some diet, some clean. They use the discipline as a way of coping with stress or, or of helping them not to feel so out of control because at least there's one thing in their life they can control. Likewise, you can, you can fast and, and you cannot have a humble heart or a heart for God at all. In fact, with religious activities like, like giving to the poor, like fasting, like praying, you, you can do it for the motive of appearing good in the eyes of others. And this is what Jesus is getting at in our passage, isn't he? Look at me. I, I care about the needy and the, the problems in the world. I'm attuned to social justice issues. I have a social constant, con, conscience. Look at the causes I like on Facebook. Back in Jesus' day, in a, in a culture where honor was, was highly sought after, you could get honor and, and notoriety and respect and status by making large donations to the Benevolent Fund or, or sponsoring a major project to help those in need or to help your community. Your name would be attached to it, and everyone would look up to you as a generous, open-hearted person a pillar of your community, someone who others could depend on and your status in the community would go up because of those gifts that you made. Likewise, there's, there's the temptation to pray so that others are impressed. Wow, that person is so spiritual, they must really be close to God. Same thing with fasting. That person's so righteous, they take their faith so seriously. Look at how they fast. Look at their sacrifice to honor God. I could never do that. It's very tempting for people who, who do that to, to find their sense of worth in the religious acts that they do and in what others think of them as they do those things. I go to church regularly. I sing in the choir or on the worship band. I serve on the church board. I volunteer faithfully for this or that ministry. It's a temptation to not the way we kind of jokingly presented it this morning, but most of us are much more subtle to, to subtly let people know what we've done so that they'll think well of us. Don't do it, Jesus warns. Don't do it. Here's what you should do instead. When you give, do it quickly and quietly without giving it a thought or attracting notice. As Jesus puts it, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, don't reflect too much on what you're doing. Don't take pride or satisfaction in your own generosity. Don't pat yourself on the back for it or, or let anyone else do it for you. Just do the deed and move on with your life. After all, you're supposed to be doing it to love God and to help the other person. Not for the good feeling or the good reputation that it gives you. Likewise, when you pray... Jesus says, go, hide somewhere alone and talk to God. The point is that you're talking to God. You're, you're developing your relationship with God, not that you're doing it so others are impressed by, by how you can craft phrases and by your own inner profound spirituality. Well, does this mean we should never pray in public? 
Not at all. The, the whole New Testament actually assumes that we'll pray together as a community. But when we pray together, we should seek to pray as if only God is listening. As if nobody else is noticing how we pray. I know this is hard, but we've got to train our hearts to do it. And when you fast, again, Jesus assumes you will. He says, don't tell anyone. Don't act like you're fasting. Back then, they would, they would wash their face. They would oil their hair. I know we don't oil our hair anymore, but that was just normal the, the way people did. He says, just do what you normally do. Act like you're not fasting. Go on with your life as usual. Let God alone be the one who knows that you're fasting. So just to review and to reinforce the point again, notice what Jesus tells us we should put on display, what we should shine about as a a city on a hill for the world to see, and notice what we should keep secret. What should shine publicly is our character. As we grow to be the kind of people Jesus describes in Matthew 5, this will shine through, not because we're being showy about it, we shouldn't be showy about it, but just because people can't help but figure out what other people are like. (laughs) And people judge one another more by our walk than by our talk. More by our behavior and how we live than, than by our words or our religious rituals. So Jesus is saying, if you let me shape your character, the kind of people you are, humble people, loving people, will eventually become unmistakable and let that character shine. But when it comes to your religious deeds, do them in secret for God's eyes only. If you focus more on character and you keep your religious deeds relatively private, it will keep you, it will keep us as a community from being a place that breeds hypocrisy and false religion. Because character takes real life and real heart change. You can't fake character, at least for long. But you can fake religion. And and if you work on character, as your heart changes, your life will shine and the world will take note. Have you noticed that, that people take note of those who have genuine character? But the world isn't particularly impressed by religious activities especially if you don't have the character to back them up. And here's, here's another thought. There's, there's great benefit, there's great power in doing your religious acts and letting nobody know you do them. So there's just between you and God and there's no other reward that you get. I, I found when I've done this, when I've kept my religious acts secret, just how much there's a part of me that actually wants the praise. I want the honor. I want the pat on the back, the stroke of my pride. And so it's humbling and it's emptying to do our religious deeds secretly and silently and say, no, I'm not going to seek that other honor, that other reward. It's good for us. It's good for our character. All right, well, now that we've heard Jesus on this point and we've heard his warning about why it's bad to do our religious deeds for others to see, Let's now focus on the benefit and the treasure that Jesus assures us is in store for those who practice their religion for God's eyes only. Jesus mentions three related benefits. First, he says, we have a father. We have a father. 
He had reminded us of this back in verses 44 to 48 of chapter 5, when he said, love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Religion is not about seeming good or respectable or holy or righteous in front of others. It's about being a child of your heavenly Father. You have a Father. And it's always worth reminding ourselves when, when our own experience with our earthly fathers get in the way that, that our Father in heaven isn't like the Father we have or had on earth, but like the Father we wish we had. Someone who loves us, someone who protects and teaches us with wisdom, someone who cares about us and for us, someone who wants to be close to us. Let your religion, Jesus says, be about your father. You have a father. And then second, second benefit, Jesus says, focus on the fact that your father sees, sees you, sees all, sees everything, even what you do in secret. When you help the poor and nobody else sees, your heavenly father sees When you pray and no one else hears, your heavenly Father hears. When you fast and nobody else notices, your heavenly Father notices. God's eyes are attentive to you. Your Father's listening. Your Father's watching. When you do your religious actions, your Father is paying attention. Do what you do as an act of love, as an act of honor for your Father. Let God alone be your audience. And then third, when you do, your Father will reward you. Verse 1 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. No reward from your Father. Some translations like the NASB have, No reward with your father. And that's because the Greek preposition here, para, like paramedic or paralegal, means with, alongside, in the presence of. You will have no reward with your father in heaven. It's not only that our reward comes from the father, but also that our reward is found with the father, in the presence of the father. The reward that is available to us is with the father which suggests that the reward, at least in part, has to do with our relationship with the Father. As we care for those in need, developing a heart that's generous and giving and compassionate like the Father's heart, instead of self-centered and grasping and cold. As we pray to our Father, pouring out our concerns and our troubles and growing deeper and closer to our Father. As we fast, learning that we are to control our appetites and our cravings rather than letting them control or define us. And as we learn to hunger for God more than for food, as we do these religious acts for the audience of our Father alone, we develop a heart that appreciates and longs for the Father. And in fact, we find in the end a, a greater reward and that that reward is with God 
And that that reward is to be with God, to be his, and then to enjoy whatever pleasure he delights to share with us in the context of that relationship. And so as we close, what's, what's Jesus' vision for his followers? It's that we'd be a community of people who, who trust him, who are loyal to him, who, who bear his name, and that as this community of people, we'd be widely known well-known for our character, as he describes in chapter 5. Like cities on a hill, countercultural communities, shining in darkness because of who we are and how we treat people. And that we'd also be a people who have a secret religious life. And so we give generously and we pray regularly and we fast sacrificially, not for anyone else to see, but for the sake of the Father for the notice of, for the audience of the Father who sees what we do and Jesus promises again and again in the passage will reward us. So let me ask, I don't know, are you like me and you want people to think well of you? You want to be liked? You want to be respected? It's tempting for me to want others to know the good stuff that I do. Especially as a pastor, because people expect it of me, right? (laughs) Look at me, I'm a godly person. I do this, I do that. And so it's a discipline, it's a sacrifice, it's a death to self to not casually mention that I gave this amount or I made that sacrifice, you know, to sort of let people know. So maybe they'll be impressed. I'm not going to let them know that that's what I'm doing, but, you know, so they'll think well of me. Being quiet about these things instead forces me to to ask, where am I looking for my reward, really? Is it in what people think? Or, or, Or do I really believe, do I really care about what God thinks? About pleasing my Heavenly Father above all? Do I pray to be closer to God and to spend time with God? Or do I pray to be able to say that I prayed? Do I fast to increase my hunger for God or to feel good about myself for having fasted so that I can, you know, sort of check it off my should-do list? Jesus is, again, probing our motives, isn't he, as he's been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Like a surgeon, he's cleaning out the infection of our false motives. Those things which feed our false self. And he's inviting us to make more room in our hearts for God alone. And what's the result as we we submit to his surgery? Not the reward maybe we thought we wanted, but a reward that's with the Father, that's better by far. Which above all is a bigger heart to love, to love and to know God himself, to deepen that relationship. And to, as uh, Craig shared with us this morning, to experience that God takes care of whatever else we need. So may we all come to know more of that reward that Jesus promises.